This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. Stand by, 15 seconds to air. Stand by, old camera, and videotape. Ready with your opening graphics. Stand by, Howard. Here we come, Frank. Ready, Don. Stand by, audio, your opening music, and roll tape. Take tape. In 1963, George Papa Bear Hallis, the Chicago Bears founder and coach, celebrated his eighth championship. Hallis retired as head coach in 1968, and for decades the Bears were losers. But fortunes began to change when Hallis received a letter. Well, the letter basically said that, you know, uh, I'm not ready. I said, but in time I will be ready. I'd like to have an opportunity to come back and be the head coach of the Bears. That letter was from Mike Ditka, the former Bears tight end, who had played six years for Hallis. Ditka spent the next 13 seasons in Dallas, playing, then coaching under legendary Tom Landry. By 1982, Ditka was ready to be a head coach, and Hallis needed one. When you sat around with Coach Hallis, you didn't talk. You listened. So he said, here's what I want to do. He did ask me a question. Oh, he says, uh, what's your philosophy? And I said, Coach, who are you I said, my philosophy is the same as yours, to kick the other team's ass. Ditka got his dream job. But Hallis was more pleased with his choice than the team was. Wait a minute. My Ditka, this guy's crazy. We don't want this guy. 
I mean, you got to see this guy. When he's chewing gum, I mean, he's choking players, throwing chairs. We don't want this guy. This is bad news. Discontent wouldn't last for long. Neither would many on the current roster. He said, men, we're going to separate the men from the boys. We're going to find out who really wants to play this game and who does not. I've already looked at the film. All of you are not going to be here. I wish I could say, welcome everybody. But he said, I want you to know this. We're going to work. We're going to run. We're going to fight. And when it's all said and done, if you walk with me, if you believe in me, in three years, we'll go to the dance. And I thought to myself right then, I said, you know what? That's the guy we need. That's the guy we're looking for. Cut. Defensive coordinator Buddy Ryan had been there for five years. He thought the Bears already had the right man. The problem was that Buddy thought he should have been the guy that was hired, not me. So that always was a problem with him. It wasn't a problem with me because I was fulfilling a lifetime ambition. And if he happened to get in the way, then he had to get out of the way. That's all there was, because we weren't waiting for him or anybody else to do what we were going to do. Ryan and Ditka did agree that men with strong wills are vital. The epitome of that kind of player was undersized linebacker Mike Singletary. He'd become a 10-time pro bowler. Quarterback Jim McMahon had set 71 passing records at BYU. But many thought he was too fragile to last in the NFL. He was also half blind. My brothers and I were playing Cowboys and Indians. Uh, we didn't have PlayStation and all that back in the day. And I uh, had a, uh, a gun holster on and we got done playing. I couldn't get the damn thing off. It had a knot right, right down by my knee. So I was fiddling with the knot, couldn't get it out, so I went and got a fork, and I was sitting there and trying to undo that knot with that fork, and it slipped and had two prongs go into my eye and all the way into my head, and he did a hell of a job just to save the eye, but you know, my vision is still not, uh, I don't see out of it. I don't really use it much. It's usually closed because of the, the light. It's very light sensitive. In 1983, George Hallis died. A year later, an injury sidelined McMahon for much of the season. Still, the Bears fought their way to the NFC Championship. They were shut out by the 49ers, who taunted them with jeers of next time, bring your offense. The way Bill Walsh ended the game was even worse than the final score. He put in number 62, 280-pound guard Guy McIntyre to play fullback. And in Ditka's mind, to humiliate the Bears. I don't hold grudges, but I got a good memory. And I remembered it very well, and I said, hmm, that's pretty interesting. The game's out of reach, and they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna do that, okay. At that time, I said, wow. I mean, they, they really want to make a statement. Uh, Bill has a way of making statements. And he made one that day. When that game was over, I just remember the fans chanting and how happy they were. And I remember standing on the bench, facing the fans and saying, we'll be back, we'll be back. 
1985, after 10 punishing seasons, running back Walter Payton was still in superb shape. The Bears' first-round pick, defensive tackle William the Refrigerator Perry, was not. He was quite round. I remember that. I mean, just, you know, his, his weight for his height, he's not very tall. I mean, maybe a little bit taller than I am, but the shape, it was just, uh, <laughs> it was round. He lined up on him, just let him have him. It's easier. Buddy Ryan was unimpressed by Perry and called him a wasted draft pick. Like Perry, Chicago's defense seemed confused early in 1985. In the opener against Tampa Bay, the Bears gave up 28 first-half points, but still won the game thanks to their offense. It was a little tough for us to, to really get on track. We were losing sight of, guys, we got to work. We got to work to make this happen. It's not just going to happen. Even though the defense struggled in the first five games, Chicago won them all despite trailing at halftime in three of them. They won because of the many skills of Walter Payton and Jim McMahon. The most memorable comeback took place in week three. The Vikings were rolling while Jim McMahon sat up with a sore back. The more the Bears fell behind, the better his back felt. I said, Mike, if you need me, you know, I, I can play. Oh, you're not playing. You're... So. Oh, put me in. I, come on, I'm okay. I said, Jim, you haven't practiced one down. You haven't thrown a ball all week. I was cussing at him. But I said, you're, I said, you're up, Mike. We're going to lose this. And the guy was driving me nuts. I mean, he absolutely was driving me nuts. Come on. You, so finally, you know, I'm such a genius, I put him in. And Jim McMahon is on, the quarterback for Chicago Bears. Spent okay. two nights at Lake Forest Hospital for back spasms up near his neck. And he's on to try to revive the Bears' offense. Had a few painkillers in me, and I was a little... A little wobbly. I almost fell right on my face as I got the snap. They got a blitz on. And the only reason the play gets off, the only reason it gets off, is Peyton gets a piece of two guys. He blocks one and gets a piece of the second one. As I straightened up, as I caught my balance, I just happened to look downfield. And then, bang. I mean, he ain't in the game nine seconds. We got a touchdown. came off the field, Mike started yelling, what did you call? You know, I said, hey, I called the screen pass. He said, why'd you throw it to Willie? I said, because he was open. I said, what are you bitching that? We just scored. You know? From there, magic happened. McMahon fired touchdown passes on his first two throws, three in seven minutes. The McMahon-led comeback became known as the Viking Miracle. He's that ace that you have. You don't know what it's going to be, that wild card that you have. That, that's what he is, because you know it's going to be good. You just don't know what it's going to be. The Bears thought they were getting a milk-drinking Mormon until the day McMahon arrived to sign his contract. They still make a stink about me getting out of the limo with a beer in my hand. But, you know, I was 22 years old. 
I'd just taken a three-and-a-half-hour flight. I was a little thirsty, so I had a beer. Big deal. They called him the punky QB and Mad Mac, but on the field, he was decisive and shrewd. McMahon often changed the plays that were sent in. It led to easy touchdowns and stern lectures from Mike Ditka. But McMahon never backed down, never hesitated to run, and never slid feet first. By 1985, it was no longer his head coach he was banging heads with. It's just something we started doing, and it was fun. It's, you know, you're all keyed up after a score anyway. You know, I just I wanted to hit somebody, so I started hitting my guys. They, they kind of liked it too, I think. The Bears were 5-0. Next up, a return trip to San Francisco, site of their playoff loss the year before. after their humiliating defeat in the NFC Championship game. The 5-0 Bears were back in San Francisco. That was payback time for them. That was, a, that was when the Bears said, okay, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to either put up or shut up. That's all. This time, the Bears did bring their offense and scored on their opening drive. Walter Payton rushed for 132 yards, and Joe Montana was sacked a then-career-high seven times. With the game in hand, it was time for that payback. <laughs> Mike has a great memory. Um, Mike could not leave with, without returning the favor. Um, the year before, putting Guy McIntyre in the backfield gave Coach Dicker an, an idea. The fridge hadn't cracked the starting defensive lineup yet. So Ditka decided to plug in his huge appliance somewhere else. Well, I said, I got a good memory. And uh, we, we were going to do some things. And uh, I watched him. Actually, I got the idea by watching him. We were running these little, uh, these 10-yard sprints, the line. And God, he, he had so much quickness and speed for five yards. I mean, power. I said, there's no way if I put him in front of Walter that anybody can get, you know, he's going to knock him right out of the way. Instead of using William Perry as a mere blocker, Ditka had bigger plans for him. William Perry, all 315 pounds, lining up in the uh, fullback formation. Excuse me for laughing in your ear, but I mean, that is... <laughs> all he had to do was run straight. <laughs> Tell him to line up, you know, behind the tackle and just run straight. Yeah, he's got a good stance. The handoff, Perry hammering on the left side of the line. Dwayne Gord is shoved back by William Perry, and Williams out to the 41-yard line. Seeing Fridge in the backfield, that, that was incredible. It was just incredible to see a guy that big moving with a football. An impressive victory for the Chicago Bears over the San Francisco 49ers, and what a day for William Perry. <laughs> it was all revenge. Football's all revenge. Guy beats you one year, you beat him next. You say, well, I didn't go out for revenge. Yeah, you did. I did, too. I went out for revenge. He had told everybody, we won the game. Go to your wives. Don't cause any problems. Don't do anything stupid. 
And of course, the next day we hear about the thing. The coach was stopped heading north on the tri-state shortly after midnight. He refused to take a breathalyzer test. I really thought I was bulletproof. I really did. I thought, God, no way this guy's going to take me in, is it? Well, not only take me in, he handcuffed me and everything else. So, uh, and I guess I gave him a few choice words, too. I was actually driving by right when he was getting cuffed, so it was, I was a little bit later. But he was uh, kind of bent over the police car. <laughs> we honked and waved and, you know, see you tomorrow. In 1985, the multiple personalities of Mike Ditka proved to be exactly what the many personalities of the Bears needed. We're all insane. Players are insane, I'm insane. You know, they knew that. You know, they call me, I mean, I go through mood changes like, uh, and McMahon was the one who gave me the name Sybil. Mike was Sybil because you never knew, I mean, from one minute to the next, whether or not he was going to explode. I might have got out of line and yelled at somebody or something, but that's, I know what I'm doing is right. I mean, I'm not out, my intent is not to hurt, my intent was to help. And, uh... And some days it probably didn't come out right. See that? That's your IQ, buddy. Zero. Hold up. Turn over. No, I'd rather talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, get I know. I know I'm smarter than that. Sometimes he'd join in with the inmates, but it was Ditka who ran this asylum. He was my nurse ratchet a few times. I'd love to choke him a few times, but... Uh... Like I said, he was, he was tough, but he was fair. Coach Dick, uh, I think, really settled down and just said, hey, you know what? I am who I am, and I got to be that. You know, people forget I played the game for a long time. No one had more fun than I did. When it came time to play, nobody played any harder than I did. I was prepared to play, but I was also prepared to have fun. Ditka and all of his many personalities are still as volatile as ever. Come on, come on, Cecil. This is not the damn epic. <laughs> William Perry's offensive debut in San Francisco was just the beginning. A week later, on Monday night, he was introduced to the entire world. First and goal inside the Green Bay one for the Bears. And off the Perry. The sounds that it made when he hit guys was just, you just hear it, you know, the boom, and then the here you go, oh. The legend <laughs> continues. William Perry on a one-yard touchdown run. You knew after that play that something had been born. And we had no idea how big it was going to be. The refrigerator. Hot dogs, milkshakes, french fries, a dollar. All for refrigerator, stand up and holler. Perry's biggest cheerleader was the man who had created him in the first place. It became an obsession with me to find ways to use fridge. I wanted to use them as a receiver and a, and a thrower and, and a blocker and a runner and everything. So, And, you know, the team had fun with it. You know, he can throw the football. <laughs> Mike Ditka and his eight no bears were enjoying the sweet smell of success. In week nine, they faced the Packers, this time in Green Bay. Before the game... 
the Packers created a far different odor in the visitor's locker room. They opened my locker and there's a big bag of horse manure in there. And uh, Nice walking into the locker room that early in the morning and smelling that. You know, you know, what the hell. And I showed the team. And it stunk up the whole locker room. And I said, this is what they think of us. And we went out and kicked our ass again. Not surprisingly, it was Chicago's real ball carrier, Walter Payton, who was the star of the game. In 1985, the Bears took care of the serious business of winning and had fun at the same time. McMahon fakes the hand. Oh, McMahon fires the right side. Oh, you know, you had Coach Ditka and, and the thing that he was dealing with, you had Fridge, you had McMahon. It was, it was on. It was controlled chaos every day. The Bears were now celebrities. Everybody loved them. The phones were ringing off the hook. Well, it, it was it was a, it was a, it was very much like a, a high pitched or a high squeaky voice. Well, Coach Ditka, you know I'm Yolanda and I'm waiting down at the motel for you. Will you come down and see me tonight? And this went on for about a week and. Uh, of course, I never went. See, people always said that I went. I never went. That was the big thing. So one day I'm out on a practice field and I'm standing basically like this watching and I hear a voice behind me says, Oh, Coach Ditka, you look so cute. Will you meet me at the hotel? It's Walter. I think we were just a group of guys that came together at a point in time that really loved the game and really loved each other. We had so much <laughs> passion for the game and so much pride in what we did. In week 11 in Dallas, the Bears played more passionately than ever. It was the student versus the teacher. Tom Landry always understood that Coach Ditka respected him. We wanted to play as hard and as physical as we possibly could, but we wanted to do it with class. I mean, they were America's team. It changed in a big way that day. shut out for the first time in 15 years. It was the worst loss in franchise history. And back to Phil Huggable, that's going to win. Hurry over the middle, intercepted by Richardson, 35-30, down the right side of the 20, 15, 10-5. Touchdown, Mike Richardson and the Chicago Bears. Their offense could do nothing yet, nothing against our defense. Nothing. You know, I had to tell Buddy call off the dogs, but they have a right to have fun. And Buddy just tell, hey, you know, you, I run the defense, get out of here. The Bears did ease up, but by then, it was too late. When it was over, the student was just as crushed as his teacher. I never felt worse in my life when he came up and said, uh, you guys are good. And, and you know, I, I said, Coach, I'm sorry. He said, you guys are good. That's all I said. The Bears were division champions. At 11-0, they were undefeated, led by a defense that was unblockable. 
1985 Bears defense may have been the best in NFL history. The big hits and its renowned reputation echo to this day. Hey, fellas, fellas, what are they, unblockable? Is that the 85 Bears over there? Huh? Buddy Ryan created the 46 defense. It was a complex scheme with a simple aim. Attack the quarterback with overwhelming numbers. Mike Singletary was the 1985 Defensive Player of the Year and master of the 46. The 46 defense, um, to make it very plain and to the point, is all about pressure. It is all about pressure. We're going to come at you, and we're going to hit your quarterback until you get another one in. Turn loose the horses now. It was a nightmare, I know, for the quarterback. First of all, you have Otis and Wilbur next to each other, that quarterback's looking out of his eye. Then you got Dent on the other side. Then you got Hampton in front of you, and then in the fridge, and, and then Steve McMichael. That's not very good. If you blocked all of them, then who had Mike Singletary? If you picked him up, then who blocked number 45, Gary Fensick? In 1985, no one figured it out. We're going to keep coming, and we're going to keep you guessing, and we're going to keep you thinking. We're not ducking and dodging. We're going to have fun because the 46 defense was as physical and as nasty as, as you want to get. coach but I was a fan I mean I watched I watched and I marveled just like the people in the bleachers it's beautiful to watch <laughs> I enjoyed every minute of it I'll tell you those guys uh, when they got on a roll like that it was like a work of art as that season went on it became relentless it was everybody did it you know it was Mingo it was Richard Lotus it was Marshall Marshall was uh, man was he I can still see the lick he put on Joe Ferguson up in Detroit. I never seen him like it. I thought he killed him. I'm looking at Wilbur and I'm looking at Otis, and those guys are just barking. Mike, man, I'm gonna kill him. Wilbur, I'm gonna get that first. Dent was saying, no, I'm getting there first. And it was going on and on, and Hampton was saying, no, I'm getting there first. And, and I'm looking at these guys, and I'm saying, wait, wait, wait. The guy is bleeding. The guy is bleeding at the mouth. The guy is bleeding at the nose. You don't have to kill the guy. We don't care. He's the quarterback. We're going to get him. That's what we do. In a three-game stretch in November, the Bears' defense scored more points than it gave up. The fridge soared to new heights, and with McMahon sidelined, Walter Payton carried them, rushing for 100 yards in a record nine straight games. Chicago was 12-0 and headed for a Monday night showdown in Miami. The Dolphins were determined to end the Bears' streak 
and preserve the honor of their undefeated 72 team. Well, needless to say, there was something different about that game. And there were some things happened that night that were really strange. I mean, balls ricocheting off guys' heads and flying in the receiver's hands, and you, you couldn't buy a break. It was like a nightmare when, when, when something is happening and you're in the middle of it and you're thinking, this can't be happening. Please let this be a dream. In their previous six games, the Bears had allowed just 29 total points. The Dolphins had 31 by halftime. Coach Dicker comes in and says, hey, you guys better make something happen over there. And, of course, Buddy had his words to say to Coach Dicker about, hey, I'm doing this over here. I'm handling this over here. I think I said, put that damn nickel in it and, and quit being so damn stubborn and stuff like that. And then we almost got in a fight. That's all. And there might have been a swing or two. I don't, I don't, and I didn't see it, so. But there was a lot of yelling in the back room. Pushing, shoving, players jumped in the way of it. And that was about it. And, uh. Yeah, I haven't gotten a Christmas card from him since. When that game was over, we knew that, wow, what a wake-up call that was. No longer were we going to be undefeated, but we still had a chance to achieve our dream. We came back together with a renewed focus, and we kept that focus all the way to the Super Bowl. Business is better. People are smiling. That city is amazing when you're winning. With your deformation. A citywide epidemic, from nursing home cheerleaders to church services to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. People were, hey, man, you guys keep it up. This is great. You guys are going all the way. You know, those types of things. That's what happens in Chicago. Saturday Night Live, and then it was, what's the coach doing? Is he picking his nose? What the hell? It became, it was, it was ridiculous. In the postseason, it became serious. The 15-1 Bears had earned home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Started with good tempo now. Be smart, let's go right down, here. let's pin them in, let the right defense here. go to work. Right Against the Giants, the first big play didn't come from the defense or the offense. It came from a sudden gust of wind off Lake Michigan. Bears look at good field position. Oh, he missed it! This is the football! He missed he missed it. It. missed the ball. Maybe it was the wind in Soldier Field. Maybe it was the gods above. I don't know what it was. It's pretty amazing how the wind just took it. And uh, the next thing I know, Sean Gill had it in the end zone. Woof, 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 woof. The Bears' defense was as cold-hearted as the weather. Richard Dent was a raging one-man storm. 
he and Phil Simms had something going on. And uh, the rest of the game, Richard was after him. Richard went after him with a passion. I'm gonna get you in so many words, and um, he did. Phil Simms was sacked six times. Nine of New York's first 11 possessions were three and outs. work to be done. There's miles to go. That's the way the poem goes. We've got a little way to go yet. The NFC championship game would be waged in the cold by polar opposites. Well, I, I told the team, I said, they're the Smiths. They live out there in California. They're the rich people. They have all this Hollywood stuff. I said, we're the, we're the Grabowskis. We're the working class. I said, we're the guys that take the lunch bucket to work. You know, the wives make the sandwiches. We come home. You know, and I said uh, that's so it's going to be that it's going to be them against us in that manner. Why they put a dome over this place? Hey, hey, hey. One thing, kick ass, let everything hang The ultimate Smith was cool Eric Dickerson, who had rolled through the Cowboys for nearly 250 yards a week earlier. On a key third and one in the second quarter, the great Grabowski rolled up his sleeves and went to work. I knew the gap that they wanted to run in. And I also knew that I had to go full speed and hit that gap right away, or he was gonna lean forward and get the first down. The play that I had anticipated happened, and I knew, here it is. Dickerson, the tail, backhand off Dickerson. He's hit by He just hit him just perfectly. Caught him where he, he didn't have any way to, to get away, and uh, that changed everything. Ryan's 46 defense held Dickerson to 46 yards. Dickerson also fumbled twice, and Chicago became the only team in NFL history to record back-to-back -back shutouts in the playoffs. Jim McMahon ran for a touchdown and threw for another. McMahon rolling left, looking to deal. He fires the left side of the end zone. Ahead 17 to nothing, the stage was set for one final magic moment. And now the winner that everybody talked about. <laughs> I wonder if they're finally arrived. Maybe they're cheering for the snow. The best thing about that day was the last fumble. Third down, 11 yards to go for Dieter Brock and company. Brock back to pass, the rush out to oh. the And hammer it down. Oh, no. Put it in the ball. Picked up by Wilbur Marshall. Marshall running across the Go on. Go. 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 I 
can still see it in slow motion. Wilbur Marshall picks up the ball. The fridge is leading him down the field, and we all are just running with him. Fridge ain't losing no ground now. He's right with him. You can't write a script for this, you know, just the way it all ended. Not to get theatrical, but, I mean, how better can you write a script here for crying out loud? When the snow starts coming down and the fans went absolutely crazy. Bears were going to their first Super Bowl. Mike Ditka's thoughts turned to Papa Bear George Hallis, the man who had hired him to get them there. And I think right there, the old man was saying, we've come full circle, guys. We've come full circle. That's the first time since 63. The fridge wasn't the biggest news story circulating around Bourbon Street at Super Bowl XX. It was Jim McMahon's rear end that he had bruised in the win over the Rams. Well, all week, all we were talking about is my ass. So, I, you know, how's your ass? How's your ass? How this helicopter kept buzzing the field, you know. And, you know, we're doing these toe touches. I figured, what the hell? You want to see my ass? I'll show you my ass. So I just drop trout and let them see the mosaic I had back there. A big deal. I was just letting them know where it hurt. <laughs> you know, I tell you what he did. He deflected a lot of the attention to himself down there and took it off the team. The focus was then on Buddy Ryan, who was leaving to become the Eagles head coach. On Super Bowl Eve, he bid a tearful goodbye to his players. After Buddy said, you'll always be my heroes, and he walked out, Steve McMichael got up immediately and got the chair and threw it through the blackboard. And it, it uh, broke my heart. It really did, because I love Buddy. When Super Bowl Sunday finally arrived, Mike Singletary thought about the coach who was leaving and the head coach who had made good on his promise. And all I could think about was three years ago, uh, this man walked in the room and said, if you just stand with me, if you just believe in me, We'll be at the dance in three years. And here we were. There was never a doubt in my mind that we were going to win that game. It was just a matter of how many points. One of the most dominant defenses ever saved its best for last. The snap to Grogan, the blitz is on. Over the left side, he goes. Those guys, they did look like a bunch of mad dogs in that game. I mean, it looked like they, they almost were, that they had a contest to see who got to the quarterback. MVP Richard Dent led a history-making defense that had seven sacks and allowed just seven rushing yards. In the third quarter, the Patriots had minus yards. Like New England's quarterbacks, there was no escape for Walter Payton. On the game's greatest stage, Chicago's greatest player was a marked man. Wherever Walter went, they were 
they were sure going to keep an eye on him. And that was their focus, which they did a nice job, but they forgot about everybody else. We ran a play-action pass. I mean, as soon as I faked the ball to Walter, you see in the film, there's five, six guys heading his way, and the Willie's just running straight up the gut. And had I thrown a half a yard further, he might have taken it 96. Peyton's mere presence allowed others to shine. Matt Suey was one of six different bears to score. McMahon scored twice, but the keyed up and keyed on Peyton never found the end zone. I didn't even think about who was scoring. I could have cared less, but if I would have known what it meant to Walter, of course I would have given it to him eight times in a row. It wouldn't have mattered. But my mind wasn't going that way. Should it have been going that way? Probably, but it wasn't. So, you know, you fault me. That's the biggest regret I had. Eventually, even Peyton, along with thousands of frozen fans back in Chicago, fixed their gaze on the fridge. He didn't, you know, he didn't just, he just you know, grabbed everything. It was kind of almost a toss to him because I got tired of getting my arm yanked out of sock. First and goal from the one-yard line, hand off to the fridge. It was coming together with a group of men, and we did it. I'm a world champion. I'm the best there is. From the start of the season, the Bears won in their own unique way. At the end, it was no different. They carried off not one, but two coaches. I'll be happy to say that I didn't carry either one off. I love them both, <laughs> and I... No, I'm not going to do that. No, you know what? I'm going to walk in between them, and we're going to walk all the way to the locker room. While Ditka and Ryan were carried off separately, both will always walk side by side in history. How many Super Bowls did I win after Buddy left? Now, how many did he win after he left me? None. So maybe we were better together than we were apart. Half a million braved a minus 25 degree wind chill to celebrate. For one brilliant season, the bear shined like no other. Then, like a comet, they were gone. In 1987, the great Walter Payton retired. He was there for the 10th anniversary. After his death in 1999, Peyton was remembered at their 20th. People say, what a year that was. What a year that was. And even more importantly, to hear the players say, man, we were special, weren't we? Didn't we do something? The team, coaches, players. 
they made me a better man. And I'm thankful for that. It was a pleasure playing with those guys I played with. We had a lot of fun. We laughed. It was just enjoyable to, to do those things that we did with those guys that we had. Well, I've always said that was the greatest group of characters that had character, and they had a lot of character, uh, that I've ever been around. I know that when you win, it, it means a lot to wear a Super Bowl ring and say you're the world champion, but God, those guys had a lot of fun doing it.